see you this morning. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was worshiping God, there is just nothing greater than being in the house of God with God's people, with his family. And as I looked around, I just am so grateful for a church that as I, I see you guys worshiping, I mean, every age, every demographic, every race, and it's just such a picture of heaven to me that we're all here because of one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so I'm so grateful for the family of God built around Jesus. And speaking of family, let me say hello to our family who is joining us online, whether you are in this area and unable to make it today or you're traveling, or we actually have a number of people who watch around the country and even some around the world. So we're grateful you're joining us. And a special shout out to Upshur County Jail. Come on, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. I'm grateful that you're taking time to be with us today as we are in a series called Family Ties. And this is the fifth week of this series where we've been exploring a lot of things about family, where maybe we've talked about some things that have been a little bit difficult maybe to process as we talked about some of our past issues with our family. We've talked about hope for our family, breaking some generational patterns from the past. We talked about marriage and the biblical uh, way that God says marriage is in the scriptures. Last week, we talked about parenting and how children are arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. And so parents, I hope you were shooting your kids out, not shooting your kids this week, but considering how that's going to go. And I want to continue uh, in this series today. I'm going to go back to our theme verse, which is Psalm 127, verse 1, that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And the scripture goes on to say in verse two that we can stay up working really hard essentially and eating the bread of anxious toil, trying to make sure that we're building this house right. But God wants to give you rest. And the way we find rest is we allow the Lord to build the house. And so as we're talking about families, we're saying, okay, God, what does your word say about our home? What does your word say about our families? And one of the things that I know to be true about your home is that your home or every home is built on mission and values. Every home is built on, on a sense of mission and a sense of values. And it's those two things together that create the culture in your home. And some of you don't realize this, but your home has a culture, Every home, every family has a culture, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you're a blended family, there is a culture in your home. And culture, I like to say, is like the smell in the air. You don't realize it's there, but it's there. And it can be good or it can be bad. If you've ever been to somebody's house and it smelled bad and you're like, how come they don't know this? It's because they live in it, right? That might be your house, so don't judge because people may come to your house and be like, don't they know it stinks in here? Like I know when I leave my house and come back to it, I can tell when something's not right in the home, like something's in the refrigerator or the trash because I can smell it. I've been in it all day, but when I go and come back, I recognize there's a smell. I'm big on smells. I don't want it to stink. Like I'm big on smells here in the church. Our staff will tell you I am constantly paying attention to the smells because I don't want you to leave here going, you remember that church that stank? You know, like that's not... <laughs> That's not how you want to be remembered, right? You, you don't want to be remembered by that. 
But culture is simply what's normal here. And you're creating it whether you realize it or not. Whether you're intentional about it or not, there is a culture being created in your home. In fact, I like to say it this way, that culture is a combination of what you create and what you tolerate. You're either going to be very intentional about it or you're going to be negligent about it and whatever you allow or tolerate is also shaping your home and shaping your family and shaping the culture at home. So it's important that we're very intentional about it. And as followers of Jesus, I believe that we have a mandate to live on a kingdom mission with kingdom values to create this kingdom culture in our home that we take with us wherever we go. We, we have a kingdom mission. In fact, Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, what are all these things? What he's talking about, if you read the chapter in context, is all the things that we get anxious about, we worry about. And he was speaking to people who would have been thinking about their families because they said, you stay up thinking about what will we eat? What will we wear? Where will we live, right? What he was saying is, is the antidote to all of that is to have a mission for your life, to seek first the kingdom of God and that bread of anxious toil that Psalm 127 talks about will be taken care of, which means that you need a mission, not only for your life, you need a mission for your family. It's very, very critical. In fact, it is the glue that holds the family together. It keeps the family focused in a certain direction. But what I've found is that most people don't live with a sense of mission. And most families don't live with a sense of mission. So I want to first start by giving you what people have, or there can be three approaches to mission when it comes to your family. And I just want you to maybe identify where you may be, and then we'll look at one that I believe is what God wants for us. But here, here's the first one. There's family and mission. And, and when you have this concept of family and mission, you see them as mutually exclusive. Well, I have a family over here, and me personally, I have a mission over here. And when that's the case in your family, many times you will abdicate your role at home in the family because you're living on mission somewhere else because you're driven by purpose. We gravitate towards what we feel like we're accomplishing and, and, and purpose-driven. So oftentimes when you live with family and mission, your family suffers because you will live on a mission over here and abdicate your role in the family. Or there's the other side of that, that is family as mission, which is where you swing the pendulum and now your family is the mission. And this is where you can make your family an idol because you, you invest everything in the family and the mission is the family in and of itself. Now, family is very important, but what I've found is when people begin to make family as the mission, they'll idolize their family and alienate everything else and they'll never live on a mission with a kingdom purpose. You know, often people think that if they can just go to every baseball game of their kids, if they could just go to every sporting event and take vacations every summer, they're going to have a strong family. And those things are great. Those things create great memories, but it's been proven that those aren't the things that bond families together. That's not what makes the strength of a family. What makes the strength of a family is a family that is living on mission is when you have a mission for your family. They're not mutually exclusive. The family is not the only thing you care about, but it is now together we're on a mission. And a family on mission will embrace the truth that God has a plan for your family and every person has a role to play. We all have to work together collectively to accomplish this mission for our family. Um, what, 
what I've found in the Western culture, as I've done some study over the last several weeks about family, is that this is different many in, in many other places of the world because in the Western culture, specifically America, we're so individualized that even the family is individualized, where everybody in the family has their own thing that they're doing, and what we're doing as a unit is just trying to make sure everybody can do what they're trying to do. So you have kids that have a, a mission over here, parents that have a mission over here, and you're running around, and what's happening is, is because we're so individualized, even as families, our families are being pulled apart in every different direction instead of being brought together, unified around a sense of mission for the family. But if you'll study business, if you study sports teams and things like that, what you'll find is what unites businesses and teams and even families is having a common goal and a common enemy. And so I talk to my family and I say, hey, we have a common enemy and that is the devil, right? We have a spiritual enemy that you need to know is working hard to separate us as a family. And, and so I'll, I'll use this language with my kids to say, he's going to speak to you to try to divide you and me, to try to divide you and your sisters, to try to pull us apart and, and send you in a different direction than what our family has. So we have a common enemy and we need to have a common mission and a common goal. And so to view family, I think, a biblical way, we really need to view family as a team, not a group of individuals. The language of team is incredibly important for your family. Why is that so? Because uh, individuals in, end up depending upon themselves. They're in it for themselves, but teams depend on each other. Teams will sacrifice for the greater good of the team, but individuals are after accolades for themselves. So any great sports team, any great business, people sacrifice things for the greater good of the team. Now, along the way, there might be some great accolades for the individuals, but the goal is not the individual accolades. The goal is the success of the team. And on a team, every person must contribute. In your family, every person must contribute for there to be success. And here's the reality. All of us are wired for team. We're, we are hardwired to be a part of something greater than ourselves, to be a part of something where we're working together to accomplish a goal. And if your kids and your family doesn't find it in the home, they'll be a part of a team somewhere else they, because we're made for it, which is why it's important that you use this language. Let me give you some things that every team should know so that you can use this in your family. Every team that's going to have success should know these things. First, what is our mission? You have to clearly define what is our mission as a family. Habakkuk 2.2, we know famous scripture that says, write the vision down and make it plain so that those who see it can run with it. Your family can't run a direction if we don't know where we're going. So what is our mission as a family? You may need to take some time to process that. The second thing they need to know is what's important to us. As a team, where are we headed and what is important to us? In other words, what are our values? What do we, what do we find sacred in our family? Another question to ask is, why are we here? Like, why are we in this area? Why are we going to this school? Why are we in this city? What is maybe some of the individual purposes for us within our mission? Why are we here? And then the last one is, what differentiates us from others? Every team wants to know, why, what makes us different? What makes us unique? Every family is unique in a different way. And what makes your family unique? Remember, we talked about in one of the messages that family gives identity in fact, your last name is a part of that. You're known many times by your last name because there's an identity around your family. It's what differentiates you from other people. And I was thinking 
this week about a family in our church, uh, the Dias family. And they're an incredible family in our church, Ben and Jennifer, and all of their boys have been raised in the church. And uh, Ben is one of our elders. But Jennifer's family, her last name prior to being married was Little. And it was kind of ironic because her dad was a giant of a man. Uh, His name was Jimmy Little, but I mean, it's like, hello, Little. Uh, But... They had, a, man, they had a great family, and one of the things that she told me when they were growing up, that whenever they would leave the house, that their dad would say, hey, remember who you represent, and they would repeat back, we represent Jesus and the little family. It was this sense of what different, who are we? What does it mean to be a little, right? We represent Jesus and the little family, and then as dioceses, they did the same thing, and so I started doing this with my kids, and I would tell them when they leave, hey, who do you represent? And they would say, Jesus, and then to get under my skin, they would say, and the Pace family, if you don't know the Pace family, Pastor Gary Pace, uh, my marriage and family pastor, that my kids are great friends with his kids, and they would, I would be like, and they were like, all right, the Warnock family, you know, you know. But there's this sense of identity. What does it mean to be a part of this family? What is, what is normal in our family? What is the culture of our family? It's what gives you your identity. So for us, As a part of our family, we've been talking about this mission more and more. And we say that our family exists to lead people to Jesus. Like we're here to love people, to serve people, and to lift people. That is a big part of our mission. It drives what we're doing. We want to bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. And we use the language of mom and dad aren't in ministry alone. We're in ministry as a family, which means that whatever we do, we do as a family. When we have life groups, it's because we're on mission as a family. When people come and live with us, it's because we're on mission as a family. It's not just us. We're doing this together. We even talk about how to minister to the kids in our groups through our kids because we want them to be seeing this Hey. We're all, we're all in this together. And, and along that mission, your family will have different seasons that bring different assignments, but they're all still headed towards the bigger mission. And the mission is what do we exist for and who are we to be? And a part of that mission will be your values. Remember I said mission plus values equals your culture. Now, the values are what drive the mission. They're like the vehicle that carry you to the mission. And values are critical to the success of the mission. Because if you don't have values, you'll just adopt whatever the values are around you. And we like to state that our values, we have personal family values. We call them the Warnock family values, and they're on a laminated card for our kids. And our church has values, right? We call them family values. Why are they important? Because we need to recall these values. In fact, I would say it this way that we say that our values are lived out by choice, not by chance. We don't want to just adopt them. We have to choose them. And it's important you realize that they're not just your values because you say they are. They're your values because you choose them when you don't feel like choosing them. They're predetermined choices of how you're going to live based on who you want to become in the future and where you're going. So when you're faced with a situation and you don't feel like living those values out, you say, no, we choose this. We choose to do this. So in our family, we have just, I mean, I'll just give you a few that, that kind of show you how we use those to drive the mission. One of our values is we choose to live generously. Why? Because God is a generous God. And if our mission is to lead people to Jesus, we want to show them how generous Jesus has been to us. So we live with generosity. We choose to be generous. We say we also, we choose to serve others. 
So we use this with our kids a lot. Hey, when they're wanting to be selfish and they're not wanting to serve other people, hey, no, we choose to serve. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. And if we want them to see the character and the nature of Jesus in us, we have to serve like him. So we choose that. We say we choose to live on purpose. In other words, every day has a purpose. We're trying to remember we're on a mission. We choose to live on purpose. It's very important that you pay attention to this. This is what scripture is actually telling us to do in Ephesians 5. Look, It says, so be careful how you live. Pay attention. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And guys, we live in some evil days. And if you're not paying attention to how you live, you'll just live how everyone else lives. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In other words, there's this picture here of we have to pay attention to what we're doing, the values that we live by, and we're making the most of every opportunity on purpose toward our mission, which is what God wants us to do, right? What I know to be true is that there is a current in our culture, and if you do nothing, you will just get swept away by that current. In fact, I had the opportunity earlier this year, you may be wondering why this boat is on the platform. I was going to get to it. But uh, earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go whitewater rafting with my oldest daughter, Rachel. And we had a boat way bigger than this, but this is what we could fit on the platform. So what, what we were, when we were whitewater rafting, we had this uh, time where they said, hey, if you want to get out, you can get out and swim. And it was freezing, but we were like, let's just jump in. And they said, pick up your legs. And if you pick up your legs, you get swept away very quickly because there's a very strong current. And, I, and that picture to me was just the picture of if you are living in this world with no values for your life, it's like picking up your legs in a river. You're just going to get swept away. You're just going to get taken to wherever the river is going. But instead, we got back in this boat. And I wanted to show you this picture because I think this is a great picture of your family in your home. This boat represents the home. And all of the passengers in it are your family. And when we were whitewater rafting, they were teaching us, hey, you've got to row at the same time in the same direction. Because we're going somewhere. That's the mission, right? And, and what I noticed or what I've seen the analogy of in this is that these oars are our values. And as we're headed in life towards a mission, you have to use your values to navigate the dangerous things in life. Because when we were whitewater rafting, there were times that there were rocks that came up. There were waterfalls. There were super dangerous areas that if we didn't navigate them properly, we would be shipwrecked. It would turn us over. We would get swept away to a place we didn't want to go. And here's the picture you need to understand about your family, is that if you're not using your biblical values to navigate the river that you're in called life, your family will get shipwrecked. You'll be turned upside down by the obstacles that life is going to throw at you, by the culture that's around you. And it takes every single one of you in your family rowing in the same direction. We can't work against each other. We all have to use our values at critical times to say, no, we've got to go this way. No, we have to paddle upstream. No, we have to get away from this rock. And everybody has to work together as a team for the success of the mission. There were, there were many opportunities for danger in this, that if we didn't row, when they said row now, they said, hey, you're, it could get tipped over and you could, you could get swept away immediately. 
And I hope that you see this picture because it's really important that you use your values to navigate the things of life. In fact, scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. There are patterns of the world. There are customs in this world that if you do nothing, you'll just end up copying those. But instead, it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or the renewing of your mind Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you want to know his mission for you, you've got to live by his values and begin to change the way that you think. Listen, from the very beginning, this has been God's plan. He pulled the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, from serving their gods under their rules and said, I want a people who are set apart for me, who are pure and holy and free to worship me. And this has been the story of the Old Testament. If you look in scripture, there was a constant pulling away from these the cultural practices because what would happen is, is they, would get, they would have to serve another God. They would be brought into captivity under Babylon or Assyria and they would, they would have this mixture that would come in, this mixture of other cultural practices, this mixture of other idols, this mixture of other gods. And, they, and God would say, no, I don't want this mixture. I don't want cultural mixture. I don't want you to do things the way everybody else is doing them. And it got so bad that sometimes they would even go into the temple where they were to worship God and they would bring other pagan gods into the temple and try to worship both. They would bring prostitutes into the temple and try to have cultural practices that were ungodly. And God was always trying to pull them apart and say, no, I've created you for something different, not to be like the world, not to be like the culture, but I've set you apart for holiness. And it continued in the New Testament. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says that God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Even the church in the New Testament was getting caught up in this cultural mixture. And I know this is not a popular teaching today because holy means you've got to be set apart in different, set apart to God, not just from the things of the world, from the sin of the world, but to live a holy life for God. And, you know, I was thinking about the attributes of God and why is this the only attribute of God that people don't want? We want the power of God. We want the glory of God. But when you start talking about the holiness of God, right? Why? Why Why do we want to be so like the world? Why do we want that cultural mixture? It's not God's best for your life. It will shipwreck your life. And so God has called us to be separate and holy. And some of you might be finding that you're struggling in some areas in your life or in your family where you're just not able to win and you're wondering why. And I was thinking about a story in the Old Testament in Joshua. I believe it's in Joshua chapter 7 where Joshua was taking the children of Israel to the promised land. But on the way, they had several battles that they had to fight. And one of the battles was a battle against a very small country called Ai or area called Ai. Or I, I don't know how to say it, so I don't pronounce it. But Ai. And They should have won this very easily. They outnumbered them. They were stronger than them, but they ended up losing the battle. And they found out after why they lost the battle because a man named Achan had taken some unholy or accursed things from a previous battle that God told them not to touch because he didn't want mixture. They brought it into the camp and they lost the battle because there were unholy things in the camp. 
And maybe you're losing some battles in your home because you've brought some unholy things into the culture of your home. And you're wondering why you're not winning. And it got to the point where Joshua said, I've got to say something about this. In Joshua 24, look at what it says. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. They were still struggling with this. Who are we going to serve? And he's saying, no, I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors or that your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. Then he goes on to say, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Will you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates? He goes on and says, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? In other words, the cultural place you're in now. Are you bringing that in? But as for me and my family or me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, some of you are going to have to get to the place where you say this today. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care if everybody else serves this or does this or there's this mixture. I don't even care what other churches are doing. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be the ones that put aside everything else and follow Jesus. It's so important because you were meant to be a thermostat in your home, not a thermometer. A thermometer can tell the temperature and go, it's hot in here. But none of y'all will sit around if it's hot and do nothing especially in Texas. If it's hot, you will do something. You will get up and you will turn the air conditioner on, right? And, and it may not feel like it's making much of a difference, but you will turn the air conditioner on because we were meant to control the atmosphere in our home. And listen, we live in Texas, so you know about heat. And this last summer, it was incredibly hot. Many, many days where it was 100 degrees. And, and I can tell you that if you went and you turned the thermostat down because you were hot, but your kids kept leaving the door open. I mean, you're like, close the door, close the door, close the door, close the door. Are we cool in the neighborhood? Close the door, right? So my kids have heard all of these words. It's like, why would you? Anyway. But what you're doing many times spiritually is we're trying to change the thermostat of our home. We're working real hard, but there's a door open and the outside elements are coming in. And no matter how hard you work to get the temperature lower by changing the thermostat, if you allow the heat from outside into the home, you will fight a battle that you're gonna lose over and over and over again. We cannot allow the outside elements to come in and control the temperature of our home. This is what it means to be set apart and holy, is we're going to close the door to the culture. We're not going to allow things in. It's so important that we pay attention to what we're allowing in. More than ever in 2022, listen, as parents in this day and age, you have to pay attention to what's coming into your home, to what you're allowing into your family. When it comes to media and technology, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is killing our families by degrees, and we don't even know it. So we've got to pay attention to what's happening. When I was doing some study this last week on this, I was reading about these unprecedented levels of anxiety in the next generation, in Generation Z. Anxiety and depression is through the roof, and in large part, they believe it is due to screen usage in technology today. Listen to some of these statistics. Because of the 24-7 access to the internet and, and unfiltered many times on people's devices and phones, uh, they estimate that 70% of 18 to 34-year-olds are regular viewers of pornography. 70%. And that's across genders. And the average age of exposure is 11 years old. Some as low as 8 years old. You need to understand your kids are being targeted. 
They're trying to rob the innocence from your kids as young as possible. We cannot be ignorant about this. In a recent Australia study, it showed that 70% of 15 to 18-year-olds had sexted, and half of those had sent or received naked photos because parents are not paying attention to what's coming into the home. And what's happening is because of media and technology and the amount of screen usage that's out there, it's destroying the minds of a generation. It's destroying the way they see life. It's destroying the way they see people. It's destroying the way they see themselves. And we have to do something about it. And so part of what we want to help you with is some handouts again. Every week I'm trying to be giving you something to help you this handout talks about apps that parents need to know about, that you need to be aware about. You cannot be ignorant. The other side has some monitoring services for internet that parents can be aware of that can help you how to filter what's coming into your home through the internet. Also, what I'm about to show you is some rules that I read, eight rules for technology from a man named James Henry White that wrote a book called Meet Generation Z and talking about how to help them navigate the things in life. These eight rules are also available for you out here. I'm about to show them all to you so you don't have to write them all down. And, and I'm not saying you have to adopt all of these. I'm just saying you need to consider some things to adopt to make sure that what's coming into the home, you're not fighting against when it comes to the culture and your values. Let me show you some of these. Eight rules for technology. Here's the first one. Limit phone minutes, text, and online hours. You gotta have limits for your kids' phones, right? If they have a phone, don't let them just text 24-7. Don't let them be online 24-7. Set some parameters in place. Here's another one they say. Don't see a movie if you haven't reviewed it. Don't allow your kids to see a movie you haven't gone online and checked out first because they're sneaking everything they can into movies today. And you could go see something that is rated G and it's gonna have something crazy in it today. So you can't just trust the rating systems anymore. You need to go look for yourself. This is a part of you being aware as a parent. You just need to be aware so you can make informed decisions. Here's a, another one. Don't let them sleep with the cell phones under their pillows or by their beds. We, we don't let our kids have devices in their rooms at bedtime. Really, in their rooms, we don't want them in there very much at all because you can't see what's going on. And it really, if you let them sleep with it under their pillow or next to their bed, there's this constant draw to touch their phone, to pull it up, to look. In fact, the amount of times that people touch their phone per day is, is crazy. It's in the 10,000s or something like that. It's just how, it's like a, an automatic response to our body that we just have to look and see. And if you let it in their room, it'll affect their sleep. And it'll also be a temptation for them that you could cut out of their life. Here's another one. Have no phone zones and times. When you're around the table as a family, put the phones away. If you're on a family outing, put the phones away. They even have devices now. It's a box that you can put it in that will register how long your phone has been in there and rewards you for spending time with your family. It's a digital one, right? You can, if you don't want to pay for that, just get a box. Like, just get a box. But, but this is really important to that communication and that intimacy as a family. Have times where we say, we're just not going to be on screens. We're just going to be with each other. Another rule they, say, they suggest is keep the computer use in public areas. Put it in the living room. Don't let it be in private rooms. Don't let it be in their bedrooms where anything can happen. Don't allow TVs in their room. And I know this is maybe strong, but I'm just saying these are suggestions for you to think about, right? If it's in their room for 24-7, what are they going to do? They're on the screens constantly. Here's, here's another one. Don't let them be on social media before the stated age and unless they friend you. The social media providers or creators have given a stated age where they say you shouldn't be on this before this age. 
Don't circumvent that and even consider longer, I would suggest, uh, waiting even longer. And if you let them on, make sure that they friend you. Because a lot of the social media creators, even Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they, they're not working for those companies anymore. And they're coming back now and saying, we think we made a mistake in creating these for what it's doing to people's brains and people's lives. Like we see the damage that it's causing. And the younger they are, the more damage it actually can cause. And so it's really important that you monitor that. And finally, tell your kids not to share their passwords with their friends, not even their best friends. Why? Why is that important? Because your, your kids' friends can get on their phone and look up and do anything they want or put stuff on there that they don't want on there, but then now they're being exposed to things. This is something that they've discovered in studies is really important. And when it comes to friends, parents... You need to monitor your kids' friends. You really, especially when they're young, you really need to pay attention to who your kids' friends are. In fact, I would say the younger they are, they don't get to pick their friends. You get to pick their friends because their friends have incredible influence into their life. And parents, your friends have incredible influence into your life as well. But as they grow, what you're teaching them is how to pick their friends. When they're young, just like we talked about the stages last week of cop to coach, when they grow, you're saying, hey, this is who you're looking for in a friend. These are the kind of character and values you're looking for in a friend. The people who are going to derail you or the people who are going to help push you forward in what God has for you. It's very important because your friends will influence you almost greater than anyone else. And the Bible warns us of this in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, don't be misled or don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character or good morals. Don't be deceived. Some of us are like, that's not that big a deal. No, it's a big deal because they have influence into your life. And no matter how great of morals or character you're trying to create at home, if they're always spending time with people that, that are derailing that, you're going to fight that uphill battle constantly. And the same goes in your life, right? You got to watch the friends you have. And you're like, well, maybe we're not, are you saying we're not supposed to have, be friends with sinners? Jesus was friends with sinners. Jesus didn't allow them to influence the way he lived. He influenced them. They didn't influence him, right? He, he didn't allow them to speak into his life. And so, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't engage with culture. I'm saying we have to fight for our values and our mission because when our values and our mission are strong, we influence people around us. That's always been God's plan. I love the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, Look at this, John 17, 15, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He was speaking about not only his disciples, but every future disciple, he says, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Then he goes on and says this, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. To me, this is the greatest picture of what's supposed to happen with our family. The goal is not to get them out of the world. The goal is to get the world out of them. This is what God wanted. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm trying to get the world out of them by making them holy by your truth, by making them holy by your word. And then I'm sending them back out into the world as a holy people to influence the world around them. That's the mission your family is on, is that we live by these values that make us holy and we influence the world around us by the mission that we're on. This was Jesus's plan for your family. The goal is not just to isolate and never, never influence the world around us. These things are to help you insulate till the time that you go out and you affect the world around you, that you watch what's coming in, that you filter what's going into your heart because it affects what comes out of you. 
And, and God has an incredible plan for your family. There's a mission your family was meant to be on. I love even the picture of our church as a spiritual family. We come together, we get fed, we get filled with a sense of vision and mission, and then we leave the home and we go live on purpose every single day, influencing the world around us. It's the same in your family. Your home is the place where your family comes to get fed, filled with vision and mission and a sense of purpose. And when they leave the home, they leave living on mission and with intentionality in every moment. That's what creates strong families. In fact, I would say it this way is that the strength of your family will be tied to the mission and the values you live by. If you want a strong family, if you want generational legacy in your family, tie it to mission and values that you're living by today for the future. This is God's plan for you. And I believe that God is doing this in a lot of our families and he's gonna continue to do this in our families that we would be people who are living on kingdom mission by kingdom values, creating kingdom culture in the world around us. That is our mandate as followers of Jesus. Amen. Can I pray with you today? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you, God, that you have a plan for every single one of our families, God. Lord, we, we have this mission that we're on, but we have unique giftings in every family, unique purposes in every family. And I just pray that you would speak to every single one of us today, whether single, whether we live alone, whether we're married, whether we're in a blended family. God, you have a purpose for us. You have a mission for us. And I ask God that you would make that so very clear to us today. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to every single one of us, maybe areas in our life where we've allowed mixture, where we've allowed the things from the outside to come in and blend with, with what we're doing in the home. And God, I pray that you'd reveal to every one of us areas we need to close the door, Lord, areas we need to, to tighten up and say, no, we're not gonna allow that in anymore. God, I pray, Father, by the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live with this sense of mission and values and purpose today, God. I pray a blessing over fam every family here today, every person here today, God, that they would be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, to live with intentionality in their lives, to see generational legacy happen starting today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text YESCARD to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.